Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womanhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and for today's episode, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Annette Perez, the founder of Afronteradas. In this episode, we will be addressing race issues and anti-racism calls in the 2022 presidential elections in Colombia. This interview was conducted primarily in the Spanish language, which is Annette's native tongue. So I greatly invite you to listen to the full interview we have already uploaded in our YouTube channel. I will list down below in the description box the link for you to listen to Annette's full version. We have recorded a small and brief version of the interview in the English language, recognizing that this is the second language for Annette and I. We try to make the best out of this interview, but greatly invite you to check conversation with Annette in the native tongue, as well as all her work with Afronteradas project. Without further ado, I want to say welcome, Annette. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. Hello, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I think this is gonna, gonna be a, a really nice and organic conversation. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm so thankful too, because we have been uh, working together in several instances and projects and collaborating. And one of the things that I find incredible about your work is how you focus on different racism um, subjects from, you know, what is racism? What is anti-racism? How to actually approach race? Because it is an uncomfortable subject and we have seen it like for quite some time. Um, you as a young leader in this topic in Colombia, um, can you share with us a bit about that moment of impact that made you focus on race? I think, um, and thank you for all the kind words, I, I think this has been, like these few years working with you and collaborating with you has been like the the best results of this long journey, figuring out how to deal with race. Um, I think we all have unconsciously that burden of race, but we don't always recognize it as race. Um, I'm, well, I'm 20 years old, I'm Afro-Colombian, but I'm also African-American. Uh, so it has always been weird navigating being mixed race. Like I'm, and and having those comments of oh you're not quite as dark so don't worry, and and you know seeing that people treat you better whether you are with your white friends or with your white mestiza mom, um, whereas when you're with your black dad and your black family things just are is different. So and and even with the fact that people don't know that there's black people in Colombia. Um, just until they saw Encanto. <laughs> so um, I think it, it has always been there. Uh, personally, uh, I felt it more in my school. I went to a predominantly white um, school with privilege, uh, with privileged people. And I had that opportunity and I've, I was, I think two of the black girls uh, in a school of like uh, 1,500 people. So, It's just weird. <laughs> so uh, though there were 
a lot of moments. I cannot recall one, but um, I remember in my last years of high school, I was like, I'm done. Uh, you know, when you get to see figures like Maya Angelou or Oprah and Beyonce, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that was just the beginning of a really um, long journey. And a long journey of looking for those type of women, black women, also here in Colombia. I noticed, and I have been noticing that uh, that I still there's, you know, I need to look for icons and people that know, that have knowledge in the North, but not quite as in Colombia where I'm currently living. So I think uh, in my last years was the time that I was like, what kind of uh, adult I'm gonna be? What kind of person do I want to like live in this world and how do we approach these conversations because it's always uncomfortable and and people don't quite almost gaslight you into thinking that race is not a problem so I knew that for my project for my to graduate I, I needed to have like a final project and I decided that I wanted to figure out how my school was dealing with gender and race um, in their institution because there was this thing of feminism but I still didn't agree with the ways in which a lot of my white women peers were dealing with things so um, yeah I think it was it was especially like um, impactful for me in my teenage years. In Colombia specifically the Afro-descendants make nearly up to 10% of Colombia's population which is uh, about 50 million people. Um, you were saying that you had these experiences early on of race however it seems like talking about race in Colombia as well as in Latin America and the Caribbean is like a topic taboo. It's very something that we invisibilize or something that is not you know, assistant or something of the minorities, not necessarily something that pertains the whole population. Yeah. Um, can you share a bit about your own experience researching and working through these lenses of race in your own country? Um, damn, <laughs> that, that, that's a really, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's a really heavy question. Um, because yeah, like when you think about it, okay, 10% is nothing. But when you look at the numbers, like 50 million people, 10% of a million people is still a lot of people, Yeah, you know? And when you get to ask yourself, where are these people and why do we keep this topic hidden? Or, you know, there were a lot of times in my family, which like, what would you bring that up? <laughs> Honestly, like, what would you try to ruin the you know the, the mood dynamic or, yeah. The mood yeah just talking about those things and you know it's, it's those things that you and mostly with uh, a lot of white friends that I have is like you have the option to know to not know about those things everything I know about race about gender about um homophobia and everything th these topics are not just because of minorities and most of these people that we are seeing as minorities we don't have an option <laughs> most times like we need to get informed we don't we cannot afford the luxury to not understand what is happening to us because we could perfectly die like I remember in my school um I was being hypersexualized way earlier than my other white um 
my other white classmates. So that told me, and not, and not only that, like I'm not only being hypersexualized, but my white teachers don't notice that, that a 12 year of like a 12th grade um, student is looking at a sixth uh, grade student with those eyes and I'm not being protected. And they're, because they don't get it. Like they don't believe that 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 there is, you know, a different lens in which people see us um, that is very harmful and that is very cruel and most life most times life threatening. So um, to me, at first it became like I just want to know about myself. <laughs> I literally told my um, research director that supported me a lot because my school didn't want me to do the project. They literally accused me of, you want to uh, prove that there's racism in school? And I was like, I'm not trying to prove it. I'm just trying to know how do you teach about these things? And if it weren't for that teacher and, and his support, probably I wouldn't have gotten the chance to, uh, you know, bring that topic to the table. Now, after I graduated, many as other students not only um, ask to me about these topics and, and, and are telling their teachers, you know, this is worth talking about, but also the population of African um, Colombian um, students has increased in my school. Uh, so it has been like amazing to me, not because of me, but it just has happened. Like it, the point is that there is a change and I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to research through my own experience and through my school and a lot of what the internet has to offer to get to know why I'm the way I am and not only why I'm the way I am but how my country is built you know to at least know it like know what it is about intellectually and from there trying to understand it emotionally so that has been like what this has been about. I always get like, sometimes I get really conflicted with myself. Do I really love talking about this? Or I love it because it, it's a part of me. And I, I even, I am mad that I cannot just look away from all the injustices that has to do with these type of topics. And I don't know if it's because I truly like it or is it because it's so connected to me that I cannot let it go because I also love learning about things. So I think this is, this is, you know, the base in which I am currently right now. And I've always been like, why? <laughs> why I'm the way I am? And, and how can I help others understand it? Uh, in early years, I, I have a lot of friends that they didn't get to know this information until they were in, in college, until they were three. My grandma that has even maybe had different and maybe even worse experiences than I do, she's still learning. And until this day, just until this day, she had the opportunity to know what these things. So, so I think it's, it's from there, you know, I, I truly believe like teaching education, uh, it's really important and not education, just like school, but like, just as friends, like why do we act like this and questioning ourselves? I think it's really important. Yeah, I, I do get it and, and connect a lot with, you know, seeing your country through these lenses. You know, I, I come from Puerto Rico and 
I never questioned up to lately, you know, like what is the story of the Afro descendants here in, in Puerto Rico and in the indigenous community that is almost extinct in Puerto Rico. And, you know, I have blood from the three of them, from, you know, the blacks, the indigenous and the whites. And, you know, it runs through my family and you know, when we started collaborating together, it was very uncomfortable. I think I shared with you a couple of times because it is painful to look back and to, you know, see the times where we were oblivious or ignorant or not even aware or interested in learning or invisibilizing because we may have played an active role in invisibilizing race or invisibilizing oppression. And, you know, it was, you know, Angela Davies who has been saying as well as many other feminists and black feminists saying that it's not enough to just be no racist, but you need to be anti-racist. And, you know, that didn't, you know, chime in until learning more about this with you and with the different projects that we are doing at the podcast, what is the difference between, you know, not being a racist and being an anti-racist in your um, sense? What's um, your take on it? I think my take, and I think we have figured out, you know, like the power of agency from our actions and from what we believe in, um, I think sometimes we, people tend to try to save the world and put the world in, in their shoulders. And sometimes they go to the opposite. That is, I'm not gonna do anything because I cannot fix anything and everything is doomed. And I have been in both. I think we have had those moments in which you feel like giving up and you feel like it's way too much and why would, why would we do something? So um, I think uh, that, I think everyone's racist, or at least everyone's problematic, because uh, racism is not just an attitude or um, or an event. It's like it has been ingrained in the way um, we work, and not only um, you know in the Americas, but also in Asia, in in African people. I think sometimes we. Um, relate racism way too much <laughs> with African descendant people and that's maybe we we just see it as their issue but we have seen since coronavirus Asian people have had a lot of uh, hate crimes um, being inflicted to them so um, I think just I'm not racist saying I'm not racist but also not doing anything is like when you um, don't say anything in the face of violence. Like, what what does it say? What does that say about you? you know, and and would you like to be defended when something like this happens to you? Um, so, I think being anti-racist is to have or to embrace the challenge that is knowing the truth about oneself, knowing. It's like our own history of being problematic. Like even though I'm a black person, I can still be violent and homophobic or or hate um, fat people just because that just because that's the only thing we saw. So um, I think uh, anti-racism is basically owning up to our own history, being honest, and that means, of course, there's going to be really 
horrible things that we, we will get to know about ourselves, that we honestly think about that a lot of group of, of people, like they're less than us. And owning up to that and also telling the truth to ourselves, not and, and doing that because we truly want to, not because we will be canceled if we don't, you know, because that's uh, like another factor, I think, that has been really influencing the way in which we get to be honest with, with those type of topics. So I think anti-racism is, you know, the vessel in which we could possibly change a lot of things in terms of gender, in terms, because they're all linked. So when you're being anti-racist, you also are being um, against um, misogyny and you're being against a lot of things that relate to each other and that make the system so violent. Um, and that's why, you know, like if you cannot be anti-racist and still not feeling that eager to know more and just be better. You don't have to do it like, like in one week and super fast and you're the expert of activism. You don't, you really don't. You just one day wonder if what you're doing may be problematic or not. And if someone uh, brings it up to your attention, like instead of being defensive, like really get to know yourself and not, not be so eager to, no, I'm not racist, I'm not racist. Everyone's racist. Everyone has the things that they have to deal with, but just as you can do harm, you can do good and you can also repair. Like, it's not like a sentence thing, like, like you're doomed for life. You're racist, you cannot improve your life. And I think that's also a thing that is important. You know, everyone's not perfect and, and you can... You can improve. I think that's that's basically what anti-racism is. Yeah, and I think that's like a huge important topic that you are addressing because people may feel pressure, I think, with the Black Lives Matter movement and with everything that's going on since COVID and before COVID and with these post-colonial views and, you know, the reparations movement and all that. People are scared of, you know, even going the race card or either understanding anything related to race because the labeling that it comes with it. Like, even if you make a question, someone else may, you know, tell that you're a racist or you should do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Or an ableist or you're literally the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, there, it's so easy to judge. And when you're on a path to deconstruct and to learn more about your own shortcomings, it comes with a humbling experience of knowing that we are imperfect and we were brought up in a system that is unequal and that it, you know, it is unequal on many layers, on class, on race, on gender, and on more things. So it's not so easy to label people as just these unidimensional beings. Like we are all different and, you know, we're subjected to some indoctrinations at some point in our lives. And, you know, we make mistakes and we yeah. own mistakes. And that's our ability also to grow and to learn because 
you know, we saw it in, you know, in the United States, we are seeing as well in Colombia with the election time and everything that's going on. <laughs> I want to dig deep into that. But um, I wanted to, to make that um, connection because I know some of our listeners may be wondering, I want to engage in race or learn more about race, but I'm scared or I'm, you know, worried that I will be labeled as X, Y, Z because of where I come from or, you know, my color of the skin or, you know, I, I even as a black person or as a mixed race or as a white person, I just don't know how to start. So, you know, knowing as you were saying that it's okay to be uncomfortable and it's also okay to be on the learning path, you know, it's, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And also this system nurtures itself by being punitive or being over harshly violent with other people you know and that uh, and that's why we have things like cancel culture and we're always like in each other's businesses like we're we most times don't need even the police because we're policing everyone all the time with <laughs> our judgment yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like we're policing everyone with our judgment and with our cameras. Everyone has, mo most people have uh, phones and most people have the access to just made up things about you or write these harsh things in the name of, of um, freedom of expression. So um, yeah, I think we definitely need to, to think about how, how we're, doing things currently. And I think that has a lot of influence on, on how elections are, are being made here in Colombia. You know, it's... Can you share with us more about what's happening in Colombia with the recent elections and the presidential uh, race? Okay, so um, a, quick, a, a quick um, history recap. Most people in politics in Colombia are white. <laughs> white mestizo people. Um, most with um, class privilege and most that unfortunately have this feeling of being Colombian and, you know, being so um, like ingrained in their veins that they are really different and really doing things better for the country, but have the same narrative on and on and on. So what has been happening lately is that, um, you know, that there has been like this organic sort of movement or phenomena going on in which many people from the peripheric areas of Colombia are just have had enough because we, in, and this is also, we will get to that topic, but, um, it's easy to say, okay, yeah, intersectionality and a lot of things have to do with a lot of things. It is not that easy. Like, you are not only one thing, as you were saying previously. Uh, I am, as a Black woman, also, I can be um, a leader. I can be a, a defender of human rights and of, um, of the earth and of, cli of climate change um, actions. So, here in Colombia, we think that these are separate entities and people such as Francia Marquez, which is a, a human rights defender and a climate um, change 
activist and also a lawyer and currently also is um you know the vice president formula for um gustavo petro which is uh you know the most popular image of left that we have here in colombia even though it's not quite left uh, when you think about it but she is his um bp and she took the elections by storm and the participation and i told you previously this has been the election uh, and the legislative legislative elections in which more uh, black people have been eager to to be as to post i don't know how to say it, to um pose as candidates for change because there has been um an erase of of people of black people having political power and political agency so this woman comes up and has not only a view in terms of um of nature and and also won um um uh, a prize for for her work uh goldman prize if i'm not wrong yeah the goldman environmental prize environmental prize but she has put everything into perspective because she has been a leader she has always been a um a woman who believes in in um in feminist ideas and is also a lawyer so she's not one, only one thing she is literally the epitome of how many circumstances makes up one person and how that one person not only has a lot of identities but has a lot of ways in which she can have agency and and deal with such deep complex issues that Colombia has because it's not only again about um climate change or about um the conflict with the armed conflict with Las FARC and the guerrillas it's everything is linked and we are we all evoke different struggles and i think it's historic it's definitely historic what she has done um in these previous elections no one not not many people in the um, in the traditional and social medias or in the traditional uh, me mediums of communication had anything any faith <laughs> of her and she took them by surprise she had to deal until this day with threats with um very racist comments from journalists from popular journalists here in colombia she has dealt with the worst um of the worst in terms of critics and not going against what she was saying but going directly into how she dressed how she looked how her hair was done how she dressed none of the most of the comments that she has received are being based on race and based on her gender and based on how she dresses because she dresses in african um apparel and not in the conventional um way in which uh here in the uh, in the west we were so she changed that in she sorry uh, she made possible for women like me to be not only represented but to see someone that represented us represents us but also showing that people have 
agency and also do believe in democracy and want to vote. I think many, many, many Black people that I know of voted for her. And not only Black people, but a lot of areas that were not supposedly conventional for her to reach out, she did. Francia um, ended up third in the elections uh, over people who were previous principals of the most recognized um, universities, in, not only in Latin America, but in the world. Uh, she went against people who have been years in this in this politics game and who just wasted their time telling her that she was just a resentful black woman who was there as a token for the left. And she wasn't, <laughs> you know, people with their vote said like 700 people said, 700,000 people said, we believe in her and we believe she can do a change. And that's why she, that's one of the reasons she's been now praised and now she has the attention that she didn't have before, even though she was in the same debates next to people who have the money and the resources to, to be in those places. So um, I think what has been happening here in Colombia is, again, the unveiling everything we truly feel about our country in terms of economics, in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of abortion, in terms of all the topics that has been that have been really taboo and really uncomfortable and complicated here in Colombia. And I think Francia Marquez is one of those people who who just because of her presence is making everyone, you know, having this reaction. Like, what do I truly think about her and what she represents? I'm going to bring a very fiery question here. <laughs> is it possible that people are scared about the power of the Black women? Yes, <laughs> I think it. Um, I think when someone's mad that you draw a limit and and that you have your own voice they're th threatened of course they're threatened because that means they cannot longer control you i think that means that they actually have to get arguments and they actually have to get um valid information and not just only opinions and and people like her thrive not only because they're okay, they're black, they're black and they're different, and that hasn't have, happened before. No, she's legit, legitimately. I don't know how to say. It, like she truly has um, showed people that debates, that uh, election debates, can rise to an upper conversation. It's not only about stereotypes and not only about. Um, you know, the fear of communism or the fear of just taking land over people because it's, it's not true because she has shown that there's a bigger margin in which we can speak. We, we, we cannot um, reduce people into such little things. And I think, um, yeah, people are scared. People are scared of change. People are scared that they cannot longer get benefits from other people's silence and other people just agreeing with whatever they saying just because they have power. Like it, it shouldn't work that way. 
unfortunately, as we have seen in previous elections from other countries that those type of buffooneries, because they're not anything else but, but fallacies in, in, which we, in which we can divide the population are no longer useful. You know, the, the system and those type of things are, are just hurting ourselves and our country. And Colombia is literally in a stage in which it cannot get worse. <laughs> like we're, it's, it's an end, there's need to be a change. Something I wanna ask you is in terms of feminism and racism, because sometimes they clash. It's like, you know, white feminists talking about race is different than black feminists talking about race or approaching feminism, <laughs> because we are approaching it through different lenses. In Colombia, with Francia Marquez, you know, uh, achieving and, you know, engaging in political participation, as well as many other leaders, as you said, that are from Afro-descent that are, you know, joining these elections, upcoming elections. Um, what is important to know about feminism and ras racism? I think it's important to know in terms of feminism and, feminism and racism that there's no only one way to be a good person. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's, um, I don't know, I don't recall who said it, but uh, he said the road of liberation is very broad. You don't have to uh, be exactly uh, or act the same as, uh, as many feminists say you have to. And, and that is a huge, conversation that is happening currently and that um, has been you know transferred a little bit from the US to here to the Americas and the Caribbean because you have an Audrey Lord that tells you like I'm doing my job as a black woman um, and I'm doing everything in my power to you know fight for, for this liberation but there's the ask to privileged white women, and in the case of the Americas, from white um, and mestizo women, what are you doing to to truly defend all women? You know, because no, not only there has been a lot of feminisms, but I think here in the Americas, something that has been key is context and working locally. We have seen that feminisms such as um, communitarian feminism or black feminism here, um, and women like Alejandra Guzman or like Yudarkis Espinosa have put into perspective the ways in we act. And it's basically also saying to radical women, like patriarchy is not the only way in which this system oppresses other people. And especially in Colombia, the diversity of circumstances in which women live are infinite. As I, as I was saying, you are not only um, a defender of the environment, you are also a mother and you're also a black woman and you're also, I don't know, an artist. And there's many ways in which we can be oppressed and you also can be bisexual. I, I mean, there's a lot of ways in which we are oppressed. And then you, when you get to and you're conscious of that, 
you tend to be more not only aware but compassionate and also not believing even that you're at the center of the world because also that humbling experience of I'm not the only one and I'm not the only victim here in the world gives you the agency to have solidarity with other people to not think oh poor us everything that the worst things that happened to us only happened here in Colombia no we can look to the side yeah we can look to the side and also be in support and solidarity for uh, our Venezuelan um, women that are migrating here to Colombia, or even further for Ukrainian women or Palestinian women or Syrian women who have also been um, victims of being, of, of my, like they have to migrate, that have been victims of conflict and of violence. And I think, and, and I'm broadening this uh, to, to this conversation, the, the Encanto effect, that movie, many people could relate to that because we are not the only ones who have migrated because of conflict. We are also, there are a lot of situations where we can identify how our families and how our systems are broken because of this conflict. So I think that's, that's very important to know, like racism, feminism can go hand in hand, um, but there's multiple ways in which they can be um, acted out. It, there's not only one way and it always depends on the context. In the case of Francia Marquez revolution, <laughs> which she's bringing into yeah. politics in Colombia, um, I wanted to ask you two last questions. The first one has to do with the political landscape. I covered the presidential elections in 2018 of Colombia and did a report on misogynistic um, behaviors, either from media as well as uh, political parties and you know the population overall. And something that was very interesting at the end of this research that I published with Women's Media Center was that, you know, it was better for women that were, you know, at the same presidential candidacy level as their peers to go into the VP route you know, to engage in as, you know, as part of the formula of their male counterparts than to engage at the same level, because if not, they could not stand a chance. And that was in 2018. We are seeing a similar thing happening in the case of Francia. You know, she reached third in the primary elections, but now she's about to be the formula for, I mean, she's already announced as the formula for uh, VP for um, Gustavo Petro. And something that we are seeing is that she's bringing something different. I listened to an interview that she did with um, Semana, the revista, and she was saying that the way that they approach each other, Gustavo and her, is not one and second, but rather one and one. It's like we are seeing each other as equally. And she has also, um, you know, plans to, you know, create a first ministry of equality. And, you know, she has different, you know, ambitious plans when she reaches power if she and Gustavo are elected. Um, what are your views on whether, you know, women are always placed on the VP route? Like, is, is it, is it the norm? Is it uh, something that we can, I mean, what are your views? <laughs> yeah, my, my views um, in terms of um, Francia and uh, another woman taking the BP route because, well, 
our current BP is a woman and she also took the BP route. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, when Marta Lucia Ramirez, which is our current BP, got into the BP uh, vice president uh, position, there was this, um, you know, excitement from many conservative people who said, you see, like, we're in the road of equality. Um, and yes, but which type of woman? Again, our current BP is a white privileged uh, woman uh, who historically has been very, ben has benefited a lot, her family from the state um, because of corruption and many other things. Um, Francia did not. And I think taking the BP route even though it's not enough, is you know like a stop sign. It's it's a it's a silver lining, and we're getting there. It definitely is not enough, and we have seen that not even in the United States, a woman like Kamala Harris can stand one to one. She also had to take the VP route. So it's not a phenomenon that is exclusive to Colombia. Many women have been taking the VP route too to be taken seriously or to grab themselves from the popularity of the other candidate, on their male candidate to, to have this agency. I think my views are, again, it's not enough. It's not exclusive. Um, we definitely have to question why we still cannot deal with, uh, with the image of a woman just being president. And it's something that still to our paradigm, like our system is, is just weird. It's just weird. It's like, what is she going to do? Is she going to have hormones that are going to flip and bomb everyone? No, like, I honestly don't think that's going to happen. But it's definitely worth it to figure that out. And in terms of France, yeah, I'm, I'm truly hopeful. I don't think that if they get elected, everything suddenly is going to change and that there's going to be a solution. But from but since Francia got in the same um, in the same group, in the same uh, party as Gustavo, she has been very vocal with the things she is not in agreement with him and has been transparent about that. And and for people like me, of course, I trust her. And I also know that eventually she will have some problematic behaviors because she's a human being. Um, but I think that's what we're fighting for, to have the same right to make mistakes and to own up to them and to have agency in that political um, position. So I think if she if she gets elected with Gustavo Petro, I, I hope that she if she's not in agreement with things with him that are truly delicate, that are truly, you know, um, very um, harsh topics, I don't know, she will have the, the character because she has had it to, even though she's with him, she's not just going to be, okay, yes, we're going to do that. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and finally, as I talked with a, a friend of mine yesterday, that, yeah, oh, like the reaction is like, you could see it like, oh, she's only the VP. Like, it's just like a symbolic political position. But in Colombia, we have seen that because of our current VP, that uh, our current president also designed, like, um, designed her for other duties. So 
what may seem as an um, like as an like something that is not that weight and as an obstacle may also seem as like an advantage because she has more influence on ministries on public relate and public sphere relations so um and she and she already has uh, international relations she's very close with angel ladies so so that's that's my stance i think uh it's a double-edged sword yeah. and i hope she she does the best i truly hope the best for them also the numbers add for them <laughs> um and but yeah but we also have to know that there's limitations and that they're not going to be the saviors of colombia all of a sudden no yeah. there's still congress and there's still a lot of things that you know have to be have taken into consideration but i hope she will do a great job because she has done it with uh, being president of the national chair of victims she did a great job with that she has done a lot of healing in her communities and in others. So why wouldn't she do a great job in this position? She will have many challenges, but I think she has, like she endured the racism and all of the horrible things that she, that people want still to do, want to do to her. People want to literally kill her today. They announced that they want to, that she has received threats. Um, and even still she continues. So I think if she has the character to still endure that, I think she can, you know, move forward and be focused on, on her, on her ideas and on what she wants to bring to the table. Is Colombia changing the way it views color or race? Yeah. It's, it's the way, it's everything. <laughs> as I told you, it's not, okay, only black people are getting no, but <laughs> as I told you, it's like, are we going to keep um, just exploding our soil just to sell it uh, to other countries? Are we still gonna contaminate our food and our water? Um, it's, it's everything, honestly, she's changing everything. And that's why in, in the eyes of many, oh, we're getting, um, there's polarization that we're, people are getting radicalized, of course, because that, it's, it's not that, that people are getting radicalized, it's that people are showing their true colors because some someone like her is so in power or just representation is so powerful that she takes these issues by their root and she puts it out there and talks about it directly. Something that, as we have talked throughout this podcast, is, is always like, maybe yeah like you have to go around it you you cannot say like yeah i believe women should be like respected but if you ever said the word feminist or anti-racist or whatever like you're immediately creating this mood of yeah. there's you know attack and and everything's going to explode <laughs> you know is like she's taking it by the root and and she's also um you know saying we have to talk about this we have to, like, we need to rise ourselves for the change we want to see, I think is what she's saying. And I thank you so much for your time and for this interview. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. This is an honor and how we can still develop. Sorry for my English, but, but I'm, I'm just delighted to be here. Thank you.
That's it for today. I want to say thank you so much to Annette for this incredible conversation that we conducted for two hours because we were recording in two languages. And I would like to know your feedback because I think that it's important to listen to one another in our native tongue. We can express ourselves better. I'm learning to, to broaden the scope of this podcast. We'd love to learn more about your impressions. Share on our Instagram and Twitter at womenhood underscore IR. Join our Telegram channel as well as our Patreon community. I have definitely considered, you know, exploring other languages such as Portuguese and French. I had basic knowledge, um, but I can conduct and um, I'm open to conduct interviews in those languages uh, soon. So um, be on the lookout for that. And yeah, I'm learning um, how to expand this uh, platform and continue highlighting voices in the, the native tongue since there's a lot to uncover together and continue learning from each other. For that, I want to say thank you so much for everybody that tuned in and talk to you soon.